This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. I mean, this is a sport that's on the precipice of irrelevance. The games are taking over three and a half hours. Playoff games are taking over four hours. Game's too long, too slow. Who cares? This is a situation where baseball's in trouble to begin with. The MLB is officially dead. Baseball is dead. Rest in peace. Dallas, the floor is yours. The Oakland A's are not just the hottest team in baseball. They are the story in baseball. Last night, the reverse boycott. I had 19,500 as the over-under. They smashed it. 28,000 last night in the Coliseum. And the Oakland A's, we were talking about it before. Why would they pick? Why would they pick a series against the Tampa Bay Rays? That's the best team in baseball. Not only did they win the first game, they go in there last night. 28,000 screaming Oakland A's fans. Swing and a miss. He got him. And the A's have won seven in a row. Celebration on the field, celebration on the speakers, and the A's have won back-to-back games against Tampa Bay. Longest winning streak since August of 21. Well, it's seven in a row behind an absolute deal fest from the Southpaw, Hogan Harris. I was actually going to tweet something out last night being like, hey, we should get Dallas Braden on the podcast tomorrow to talk about this reverse boycott. He's the voice of the Oakland A's. He's he's out there in the parking lot before the game. He's partying with all the A's fans. I don't want to start at the end. Don't talk to me about seven straight. Don't talk to me about the the crowd yet. Take me back to pregame in the parking lot where you're in there amongst all these crazy green and gold fans. Absolute mayhem early, early. Like uh, I, it it may be known. It may not be known. Uh, The parking lots probably opened a little earlier than they should have. People just (laughs) were not in a mood to be fucked with yesterday. Just wasn't going to have, you weren't going to tell A's fans. No, like on any level, it would just wasn't going to happen. I didn't and realize remember, it was like that I, until James Caprillion tweeted like, hey, everyone, stay safe out there today. <laughs> like it was going to be. Oh, like no. Riot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's the I mean, that's the message. That is the energy that had been boiling for a very, very, very long time. And understandably so. So I jumped um, I jumped in the golf cart. I, I went out to center field to the cage. Say what's up to the boys on the grounds crew. And I was heading to the parking lot, and one of the fellas said, "Hey, DB, jump in the cart, man. I'll swing you out there." So, uh, jump in the golf cart, 
takes me out to uh to B lot and as I'm driving up to B lot you can see the flags you can hear the chants you can smell the smells you can I mean the coliseum was coming to life right before my very eyes and the the interactions with people Jared this is the this is the heartbreaking part but this is the fulfilling part and this is why I will always, always wear my A's fandom on my sleeve. And I will always fly that flag as high as possible because I had the opportunity to meet four generations of ladies who have been diehard baseball fans since they showed up. That's right. A great grandmother, her daughter, her daughter, and their great granddaughter, all of them together holding a sign tracing the family's lineage from the first time they were at the fucking ballpark to today with the little girl who could barely put full sentences together, letting the fucking business be heard, right? She had free reign. Say whatever you want, sweet pea. It's your day today. And having those conversations, it just, um, man. And, and before we get to the parking lot, Jared, I, I'm in, I, before I even go out to the parking lot, We've got a we got a fella. I love him, Sammy. You son of a bitch, you. Uh, this dude is ninety four years old, Jared. Ninety four years old, and he is an usher. Okay, and his wife has been battling some stuff, and Sammy is kind of coming to terms with where he's at in life and what the Oakland A's have meant to him. And we've been talking about this for a while. Sammy's going to turn a hundred at the Coliseum. And Sammy wants to do that with his family, F-A-N-M-I-L-Y. And he knows that he might not have anybody here with him when he hits that century mark. So where else would he want to be? Well, there's no else, no other place he'd rather be than at the Coliseum. And to watch that man go through his entire life, really, in memories of baseball and at the Coliseum, and explain how he's battling and coming to terms with the fact that the one thing that he wants in this life to turn a hundred at the Coliseum very well may never happen for him. Having those types of conversations on my way out to the parking lot, seeing the four generations of A's fans, taking the pictures, hearing, hearing the emotion like that made it all that made it all about as real as it could possibly be. If you didn't think for whatever reason that it wasn't real, it's really just that slap across your face. It's the cold bucket of water that snaps you into reality and lets you, for a moment, understand why the pain is what it is. And to watch those fans come together, think about this, dude. 28,000. I mean, I've got folks in the front office who are telling me it's north of 30,000 based on the overall ticket count. So whatever number you want to pick, when you have that many people get together on their own, I mean, they produced a fucking giveaway of over 7,000 t-shirts on their own, right? And when you feel that type of vibe, buddy, there's not many things that top that because that is, a, that is an emotion that has a physical characteristic to it. You can feel that. It's palpable. You can swat it in the air. And I don't know that there's a fan base that deserved any more of what they got from the first moment they walked through the parking lot gates to the very last 
bottle that was thrown onto the field. And I'll get to that a little later, but to your point about, or to your question about what that was like, but they had live music. They got beer flowing. They got all the NorCal shrubbery in the world flowing, fired up. <laughs> Things were smelling great. It was, it, it was a game that you go to simply because you don't know what the future holds and there's no way you were going to miss this one. And if it wasn't for some potential safety concerns, my wife wanted to take our three children to that game and to that parking lot. And, to, and I would have been all for it, but she would have been the only one there. And she was like, buddy, it's tough for me to get these girls around all by myself. So unless you've got a security detail for us. So so that just, I mean, anybody and everybody who's been around baseball in the Bay Area, been around baseball with Giants fans, shout out to the Giants fans who were there. And rarely are you going to have a group of Giants fans, you know, being able to rock their colors in our ballpark without having some issues. I'm not saying like no, no one's physically threatened, but you're going to wear it, right? You're going to get crushed. You're, you know what it's like wearing a sock jersey <clears throat> into the ballpark in New York. I mean, you're, people have opinions and they're going to share them with you. But the Giants fans, they couldn't have been more welcomed. They couldn't have been more understanding about what was going on. They they get it. The rivalry between the two, they just, it was, um, it, it was baseball fans coming together for the greater good of the game, the greater good of their team. And it was extremely emotional, dude. Very emotional. One of, for me, a top five moment at the Coliseum. What do you have to say to the people? I, I don't feel this way, but what do you have to say to the people on Twitter that were like, well, if they had just done this all along, then the team would still be here and they wouldn't be moving to Vegas if they did this every night. I mean, I, I, I have to go back and explain how things have gone, you know, how fans feel like they've been treated by ownership. And if you don't understand what it's like as a fan to feel completely beaten down over two decades worth of your fandom, and if you can't understand or sympathize what it's like to experience the turnover that these fans have experienced on their roster and maybe not have felt that turnover occur in their own ballpark to the point where we're starting to throw words like dilapidation around. And we're now at the point where we have local governments voting on the move in other states because a new ballpark being built as close as we ever were to that, we're as close to leaving as we've ever been as well. That's what this fan base is mulling over every time they wake up, every time they go to bed. These are the things that they have on their plate. They don't get, they don't have the luxury of just simply picking their favorite player, cheering for this guy, wearing his jersey. And it's a much more complicated relationship than that. And I don't expect fans in Minnesota to understand that. I don't expect a random fan in Cincinnati to understand that. I get it. And if you're not in tune with, how things have gone with local government and ownership, and then why would you? So I don't expect it, and I don't blame fans for not understanding that. But I do take umbrage with fans who want to fire off those sneaky or snarky little comments, thinking that they're just here for the click. And it's almost like they're saying, like, I, I know what's going on. I just want to be an asshole and say this because it's going to feel good because my life fucking sucks anyway. So they're going to be miserable, too. Like, you're a fucking dipshit. So I don't pay any attention to that. There's no stock placed in that. I don't give a fuck what you have to say. And I've watched other people who were so far removed from this situation try to wear it as a badge of honor for themselves. Uh, if you don't understand what's going on, then you just don't have a feel. For Shut your fucking mouth. 
You have not lived this. You have not been in these trenches. You can kiss my ass. And I get it that you want to have something for somebody to fucking click on. I don't fucking care. That shit falls on deaf ears. Beat it. Because the folks who were out in that parking lot yesterday, those are the folks I give a shit about. That's why I was out in that parking lot. I don't give a fuck about anybody else. Yeah, there were there were some people that were trying to uh, stolen valor the the A's pain out there. It's so tired. It is so fucking tired. I agree, dude. Um, I I didn't want to interrupt, but you you did talk about what was his name Sam who wanted to uh, have his one hundredth birthday in the Coliseum. Yeah. I, I had my 30th birthday in the Coliseum. That was f- a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yo, fucking Sean Mania blew out those birthday candles, huh? No, that, that was uh, that was my 29th birthday. My 30th birthday was when you gave a special shout out to my mom on the big board. Oh, uh, that was one of the better moments for us, dude. That was no, that, that was wasn't yeah. no, that wasn't funny. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was my birthday, yeah. but my mom got a shout out from Dallas. Not funny tomorrow. What about tonight? Tonight, Robin, say something. <laughs> These people are animals. <laughs> They're animals. Oh, uh, but the, I, I dude, have very the, fond um, memories there. I was, I was. Listen, I watched every single because the Red Sox fucking suck. I was watching the A's game. I had it turned up surround sound like like I've got like the surround sound speakers behind the couch. So when you got that going on, it sounds like you're at the game. So I'm watching this game with goosebumps. And when Oakland pulls ahead two one, uh, I'll see if I can get that sound really quick. Oh, uh, dude! It, I, everyone I have, was freaking out in real time, being like, "We're watching Moneyball too. Like, this is this is what's going on right now." All right, here it is. I I have. That's off the glove, and the A's will take the lead. Just enough from Carlos Perez brings home Laureano, and it's two-one Oakland. And you put it in play. Good things can happen. That's like, that sounds like a playoff crowd. I walked out after the game and I was passing Cots on the way out. Mark Cots, he was the manager. He was headed towards his interview and he just stopped and looked at me and had a huge fucking smile on his face. And he was like, buddy, that is a playoff atmosphere. That right there, he's like, I haven't felt that in a minute here. And I was like, um, yeah, no words, Cots. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, brother. Because the place was fucking rocking. Absolutely How, rocking. How would you compare it to that um, wild card game against Tampa? Uh, extremely comparable. Very comparable. And uh, the reason is because, and I said this on the air, Yandi Diaz, you know, obviously we weren't calling that game. So I had two beers in my hand, ready to sit down in my seat. I wasn't even in my fucking seat. And Yandi Diaz had popped Shamanaya Oppo to make it one nothing, hit a fucking homer. And 
you had 40,000 people or whatever it was just almost brought to a silence five pitches into the game. And it took them a little while to, to get back into it after catching that hot one real quick. But yesterday, I don't know that the result on the field would have had much bearing as to what was happening in the Coliseum. It only helped. It could have only helped, which is why I really wanted them to win the ball game the night before. Needed them to win Monday so that we could kind of go into that game yesterday with a positive vibe and the fans were going to be excited about showing up as opposed to having maybe taken one on the chin and feeling like, oh, this is going to be a, a, a dredge of, a, of an effort here. This isn't, going to, this isn't going to move the needle like we wanted it to. That couldn't have been farther from the truth. Hmm. What, uh, as an outsider, Joseph, were you watching this game? Uh, yeah, of course. Were, I thought your, they played great ball. I mean, I love the small ball. The bunt the guy over. Loriano uh, stealing third. Maybe to get the run yeah, across. Did he fuck up his hand on that? Fucked up his hand. Yeah, give a he, shit. Um, I, did it, uh, I did an Emmy Award winning review replay on it. Um, he hyperextended. <laughs> yeah, did you like that joke? Little zoom, Johnny? <laughs> He, well, uh, you guys had a great, hi- great zoom in on that. Stop! He stop had it. a uh, <laughs> yep, his yep. He hyperextended his middle finger and his ring <laughs> finger. And I'll be honest, you go back and look at the play, and <laughs> and I, I even said this as the production is wrote, like you know we got the folks in the truck who are listening, and I'm saying everything I'm saying on TV about the hyperextension. Like you see here, he's got his middle finger and his ring finger extended on the leg, but I got to believe. It's the index finger that gets to the bag that's letting these um, that's letting the umpire know he's safe. He beats the throw, and as soon as I say all that, I get on the talk back and I go, "Everything I just said to the public was a lie. That was a lie. I'm not sure that I even believe it. I need you to look at the fingers here because everything I just said as to why he's safe is probably the reason he's going to get called out here. Just want you to know that full disclosure." <laughs> and the truck was like, they, they all started laughing, like, "Hey, well, thanks for the honesty." Because it was very, it was very close, and he very well could have been called out. No, he very well could have been called out. Yeah, but he was called safe. Oh, I thought you were talking about when he stole second base, uh, Rosarena, that on that play. Because you were also talking out of your ass on that. I thought he was safe. I thought he was safe too. I saw wrist to wrist contact. Yeah. Yeah, like on the yes, exactly. Mm Yeah, he was safe. But I mean the umpires <laughs> had some feel. They were like, ah, eh, fuck well, it. He's out. Call him real, bro. He's out. Hey, oh, well, Randy where, was acting like he look- knew he was he was acting <laughs> like he was giving away. He's eating fucking snacks in the dugout. Yeah, Randy wow. was eating a fucking nutter butter in the fucking dugout. Like, <laughs> and and it's great because my 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 broadcast partner was like, was like, yeah. You know, you could you could tell it's like you know, he was saying something like high intensity. You know, they're they're locked in. Everybody's very nervous about this. And then the camera fucking shot, boom, right to Randy as Randy's un- undoing his fucking waffle cracker or whatever. <laughs> like not even looking at the video board, could care less. Helmet already yeah. off. He's in the dugout, and I was like, and I go, yeah, Randy's really sweating bullets here because <laughs> <laughs> Randy could give a fuck. No. Yeah, no, the but A's were a team um, possessed last night. Nobody could beat them last night. They had everything going. Um, the the fifth inning, the fifth inning was epic. The fifth inning was epic because um, as I I don't know if I said this or if I told you guys, but 
out in the parking lot, they were also passing out these massive uh, cheer cards, mm-hmm. which were prompts for each cheer, each chant that they were going to do when it was going to happen. So like first batter of the game, this is what we're saying. First batter of this half inning, this is what we're doing, right? Each and every inning, each and every moment of the game was really scripted out for fans um, to to take note in so that everybody was kind of in sync. And the fifth inning was silent. The first batter of the inning, silence. So you've got all of these people that are creating this ridiculously raucous environment over the first four innings, right? And then you got the first batter of the top of the fifth come up and you could hear a fucking pin drop in the game. Series behind 0-2. Here, here's a funny story. My wife would take our kids to baseball games. I was working in, uh, in Texas. And even coming here to Oakland, our youngest, who's now 21, Sophia, my wife told her, you can't have cotton candy, you're allergic to it. And she believed it all the way until she was like 18 years old. Just swinging a fair ball inside the third base line, and Siri's going to turn and make his way to second, and he has notions about third. He'll put the brakes on as Seth gets it back in. We heard the uh, crowd go silent and now getting very loud at the Coliseum. Taylor Walls would now stand in for Tampa Bay. Rays try to open the scoring, and uh, Hogan can't hear with the pitch comp because of the crowd. And now time has called. Things have gotten loud here. And this is certainly a new experience in 2023 at the Coliseum. the technology you gotta make sure it works right i mean pretty significant time so he can't even fucking hear the pitch comm because they're chanting sell the team so loudly <laughs> that's crazy now, now this is where <clears throat> i typically don't do this you guys know me i like to keep it above board as much as possible but there's just a certain type of asshole out there that that just doesn't listen, doesn't get it, doesn't pay attention, and just wants to yell, just wants to yell about dumb shit. And I got a certain type of asshole by the name of at CM underscore Jack Doherty. That's D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. Um, who thought he was going to question my understanding or involvement or dedication to the only fan base that I have ever known, to the only organization I have ever known. He thought he was in a position to try to put me on blast about not saying anything during that at bat of the fifth inning. And if you go back and listen to that entire one minute and 45 second clip, Jared, that you just played, I would challenge anybody anybody to cut off the clip where I speak. Can you cut that, Jared? Can you go back to the point where I say something? 
Uh, I, I didn't. I don't. That was the Rays broadcast, but I, I, I don't believe you said anything during that. That was not the Rays broadcast. That mm. was my broadcast partner, and I didn't say the one a that I just played. Fucking, yep. Are you sure? And I didn't say a motherfucking word. I didn't say a fucking thing. Not a single solitary comment came out of my mouth. Not until we start talking about Hogan Harris not being able to hear his pitch calm do I chime in with a hmm. And that's all I said. Hmm. And it was because I'm well aware, you dipshit. Tuck it in. I will fucking eat you alive. The fuck out of here. Yeah, I think I I did see that guy. Now that I'm looking at his Twitter, I've definitely I saw him in your replies last night. Yeah. So so fans, feel free to go ahead and clip that off and let at CM underscore Jack Doherty <laughs> know just how big of a fucking idiot he really is. <laughs> fucking beat it, nerd. <laughs> Yeah. Also, uh, you fucking geek, head on over to the DraftKings Sportsbook. <laughs> you got to hit it out of the park this baseball season with DraftKings Sportsbook. Bet on your favorite teams, players, and rivalries all season long. This week, new customers can place $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can take a shot at bigger payouts with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Open the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place your stepped-up same-game parlay by combining three or more bets from any big league game. Boost your baseball winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. All you got to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and sign up with the promo code Jared, J-A-R-E-D. New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly only on the DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code Jared. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after insurance. Opt-in and 10 plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at Sportsbook.DraftKings.com slash baseball terms. Um, I want to get Jay Hayes' thoughts on this, but I, before we do that, I, I just want to let everyone know. We have David Cohen on the podcast today. David Cohen's here. Cody. Cool interview. Oh, very great. Always great, great to talk to Coney. He's a legend. Um, Jay, hey, what were your impressions of what took place last night? Uh, I mean, I think you guys summed, the, summed up the on-field stuff well. I, I, I'm not going to pretend to have an emotional connection to Oakland that I don't have. I mean, Dallas is my connection. I've been to one game at the Coliseum. It was great. Saw Sean Manaya th- twirl a gem. Uh, but what strikes me is just how much of a loser this whole situation is for basically everybody and everything but one person. And it's like, again, I I don't have any stake in any of this either. And it's just like, it's a loser for the current A's team, right? That's obvious. It's playing out right now. It's going to play out with the quality of the roster for the next half decade. It's a loser for Major League Baseball because if they move to Las Vegas, they will be creating another small market team 
with a cap on the amount of upside that they have. I would point everybody to Joe Sheehan's uh, blog to read more about this. He's got it open for free, but it's basically hot Milwaukee, as he said multiple times. And that is one of the small, it would be the smallest media market in Major League Baseball, Las Vegas, the smallest media market in Major League Baseball, Las Vegas. People think Oakland is a small market. It's the Bay Area, folks. It hasn't always been this way. There are plenty of sports franchises that exist in the Bay Area that are currently successful. And the A's at one point, in terms of not just sentiment, but actually getting in the gates and supporting the team were massively, massively popular. And this is before my time too, mostly. But I would also remind people that they were so popular that it was the San Francisco Giants who were looking to relocate at one point. The San Francisco Giants, who are one of the most consistently popular teams in Major League Baseball now and have been for the last, whatever, 15, 20 years, they almost moved to Tampa and they almost moved to Montreal, I believe, are the two places. Okay, so like so it's a loser for the A's. It's a loser for Major League Baseball because that will be another poverty team, basically, in a lot of different ways. Um, it will be a loser for the city of Oakland. Uh, that's evident. Dallas has talked to us quite a bit about this, and there's plenty of other people you could go to online uh, for that sort of testimony. And it would be a loser for the city of Las Vegas because it would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, from the taxpayers there for a project that would funnel wealth into essentially one person or one family. So you have all of these entities losing. And I say nobody cares. That's obviously not true because lots of people in Oakland care, and I'm sure lots of people in Vegas care also. But nobody with any power to do anything about it cares about that part of it. Um, They just care about facilitating the business deal uh, and enriching the people that are going to be enriched by it. And it's just really kind of fucking tragic uh, in a lot of ways. And this isn't the first time it's happened. Uh, it probably won't be the last time it happens in uh, major professional sports, but it's just so ugly and egregious and yucky in so many different ways that um, that's what stands out to me. Uh, as cool as the scene was last night, just sucks. And how about the timing about it this of way. the Las Vegas Golden Knights winning the yeah. Stanley Cup in front of a crowd that was like, woo! <laughs> like, like that's the the optics compared to what we saw at the Coliseum. And, and you just have to remember, like the A's are not going to get that sort of honeymoon period for lots of different reasons. They're going to be playing in a minor league ballpark that fits 10,000 people for the first couple of years, right? They are going to have a very poor roster upon arrival in Las Vegas, whether we're talking about the stadium that's going to be constructed or the minor league ballpark that currently exists. That was not the case with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And then there's the attendance factor where they're building a, they're both, they're both building a stadium that is too small and requires them uh, to fill it too often, right? There's the great point that like they need to average 8,000 tourists every single day for the money to work, basically. That's 8,000, as Joe Sheehan said, that's 8,000 tourists on a Sunday uh, for a getaway day on uh, Marlins A's. That's 8,000 for you know a, a mid-September game when both teams are out of it. That's 8,000 for every single matchup that happens in that stadium for tourists, just tourists. And then, uh, and th- and then there's the $30,000 or the 30,000, uh, si- uh, the stadium would fit 30,000 people and the point that he makes there is that that leaves you absolutely no upside for when the times are good. 
the way you balance out those low uh, attendance days is by having those days where the Red Sox are in town or the Cubs are in town or the Yankees are in town and you can fit 40,000 in there or you can fit 45,000 people in there or for a postseason game, you can fill up the stadium to max capacity. And if you can only fit 30,000 people in there, you are just strapping yourself financially in a way that nobody can explain why it makes sense for anyone other than the person who's created this team and entity as an investment vehicle only. And that's John Fisher. So that's that's just it's it's and it makes no well, sense. <laughs> Except what, for him. What I take away it, from it makes this, plenty of sense for. Yeah. And, and what I take away from this, just this is zooming out. This isn't <clears throat> this isn't specific to the Oakland Athletics situation. But remember, we are constantly being told how risky and how non-profitable owning a baseball team is, right? Like that is the message that is being drilled into the fan's head when we have lockout negotiations and we have all of these things that are preventing the game from moving forward. We're constantly being beat over the head with how much sense it doesn't make to own a baseball team and how tough it is, how much money there isn't being made, how much money they're actually losing. So to your point about a lot of smart people doing a lot of the work on a situation like this, it does kind of strike me as odd that if the messaging is how tough it is to own a team and how tough it is to make money owning a team in X, Y, and Z, it would stand to reason that Building a ballpark under the circumstances you just laid out, Jay Hay, would make not much sense to anybody who was doing business or who under you know, and that's why no, it, it unless, becomes perplexing. Unless it's a real estate investment for somebody, and gosh, I just don't know if it is. Then creating a thirty thousand dollar or thirty thousand capacity ballpark in Las Vegas, uh, when you currently exist in the Bay Area, in whatever a fifty thousand. Uh, capacity place uh, or the new stadium would be much larger than 30,000 if they uh, pursued the Howard Terminal location. Um, it, it it just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and I don't know, man, like it's. I, I'm just kind of interested to see because there, there's a reason this is these are the sorts of deals that are rammed through like the local governments and uh, via politicians it's because they this math generally wouldn't make it past an actual uh, poll or an actual vote uh, of the constituents right. of these respective places. So um, it, just remember, every time a major league franchise goes up, whether that's a major league baseball team or a bas- an NBA team or an NFL team, it basically resets the market for how much franchises uh, will sell for. No matter where the location is, in some way, it resets the market. And yep. it's never... Oh, the the franchise valuations are down. This one only went for you know two and a half billion less than the previous one. No, no, no. It's always more, or it's always a record for that market, right? Uh, yeah. So when they talk about how it's not profitable, just just remember remember how profitable the Golden State Warriors are. Uh, that wasn't well, always they weren't always a dynasty. They weren't they, that wasn't a team that walked in printing money in the Bay Area. No. They just did it correctly, and they they are in a market where if you do it correctly, you can be fabulously successful and that includes that includes the oakland a's and it includes the san francisco giants and the golden state warriors and all the other teams that have been successful there it's just an excuse it's garbage yeah Re- remember the picture of I brandon crawford I think I've said enough, but yeah remember the picture of brandon crawford 
as a little boy standing on the rail watching the Giants game with a sign right next to him that says, please don't leave. Giants stay in San Francisco or something to that effect, right? And it was the A's way back then. And you can dive into this if you want. I'm not going to take all the time to lay all this out for people who probably don't give much of a shit about it. I get it. But it was the A's who played a central role, the most vital role in keeping the San Francisco Giants in the Bay Area. Yeah, you heard that correctly. It was the A's, a competing team in a competing market that was damn near solely responsible for keeping the San Francisco Giants in San Francisco. Don't ever, ever fucking forget that. Don't think about how stupid the the idea of the San Francisco Giants relocating to Tampa Bay sounds in 2023. Think about mm-hmm. how dumb that idea sounds. That's probably how it's going to feel to discuss the idea of the Oakland A's either theoretically having moved to there or actually having moved to Las Vegas when we talk about it in 20 years. It's going to be that sort of epic disaster. And I'm looking forward yeah. to talking about it on Baseball is Dead, episode number 1,340. <laughs> and you know you know what the Giants did, Jay Hay, instead of moving to Tampa? Uh, once they built a waterfront ballpark in a downtrodden oh. part of the city. And oh, that's weird. that area has since thrived and flourished. Weird. What is the the update on that? I feel like every time I see an article about the move to Vegas, it's like, well, they found a ballpark. Oh, actually, they didn't. They they can't get the funding for it. Well, actually, they get the funding for it. They're actually they're building it now. Well, they're not going to they're not going to play in that stadium now either. Like, What is what's the as of right now, June 14th at. 11:21 a.m. Eastern. What is the latest on the A's to Vegas? The Senate voted yesterday. They agreed. They passed uh they passed the vote. So that vote now goes to the assembly and the assembly will have to vote on that and I believe they were adjourned until 1 p.m. today and I don't know if that will be entertained today. Um if that does pass it then goes to the governor's desk. Lombardo, I believe, is the is the gentleman's name in Las Vegas. I'm not I'm not one hundred percent on that. Again, I would uh anybody listening who has any interest in keeping up with this at Casey Pratt at Brody Brazil are a couple of folks that I would recommend following because their timeline is going to be chock full of all of the detailed updates. I'm giving you sort of the cliff notes of things. I mean, they can tell you what these people voting on this stuff had for breakfast, lunch, and dinner three weeks ago. That's the kind of detail that these dudes are into. So um, definitely, definitely check them out. They've got links to all of the old uh, all of the old voting sessions and whatever you would need to be caught up to whatever extent you desire. They have it. But that's where it sets right now, Jared. So not to give false hope or anything, um, is there even the smallest chance that this does not happen or was last night really just the last act of defiance to a sinking ship? Well, as Jay Hay said, I, I think, reg- and this is, again, remove the ballpark conversation from this. Anytime you have 
put on things amongst themselves as opposed to involving the constituents with which they represent. Um, I think you can kind of get an idea of, you know, look, if we, if we talk about this publicly, then everyone's going to start to see, you know, maybe this doesn't work out. So let's just kind of, like Jay said, ram it through and, and kind of go from there. So I, I like, I have, I'm not going to even pretend to try to speak intelligently on the goings on with local government in Nevada and where their stance is. You know, I, I chalk up politicians regardless of what color shirt you're wearing, red, blue, doesn't matter to me. They're all slime balls. Um, so, I mean, you know, but, but this is, again, this is where you have to, if we're being serious for a minute, you, you have to be mature enough to understand the business side of this, whether you like it or not, whether you respect it or not, understanding what's happening right here is what they call business. And I've always said this, the way things go down in local governments and CEO type meetings, the only difference between them shaking hands at the end of it and not laying in a pool of blood somewhere is because they're wearing a suit and tie and it's happening between nine and five. And when you fuck people over like that, it's called business. But if you were to pull some of the same stuff that we watch governments pull in the street, it would not go well. Mm, man, a lot of drama. A lot of drama, but there's going to be real drama in your household if you don't head over to Omaha Steaks for Father's Day. I know that for a fact. Because the urgency for Father's Day is here. It is uh, It's right around the corner. It is, what, this Sunday? No, Dallas, you should know you're a dad. I have, Jay, yes. you're a dad. Da- yeah, it's this Sunday. No, it is. It is this you. Sunday. Yeah, Confirmed. It's this Sunday. Yep. Dads want steak. Come on. Everyone knows that. Dads want steak. When you give dad perfectly aged and oh so tender steaks, you're not just giving them the best meal of his life, but the chance to grill them up and share a moment with you. For a limited time, when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter the promo code DEAD, D-E-A-D, into the search bar, you'll be able to order dad's favorite gift package for just $99.99. Plus, you'll get eight free Omaha Steaks burgers with your order. These burgers taste like steak in a bun, ultra lean. They pack a bold, intense, beefy flavor. Here's what you get. Four bacon wrap fillets, four premium air-chilled boneless chicken breasts, four boneless pork chops, four gourmet jumbo franks, four made-from-scratch caramel caramel apple tartlets, and an Omaha Steak seasoning. Plus, eight free Omaha Steaks burgers for only $99.99. Remember, gifting is easy. Dads want steak, and Omaha Steaks isn't just steak. It's the best steak of your life, guaranteed. Don't wait. Go to omahasteaks.com. Type in dead, D-E-A-D, into the search bar and order uh, dad's favorite gift package for Father's Day. Again, that is omahasteaks.com, keyword dead. Uh, as promised, we had a really cool sit down um, with David Cohn, who wears many hats these days. He's a podcaster. He is on the Yes Network. He is on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, and he is uh, one of the more knowledgeable baseball minds that's ever going to hit our airwaves. Uh, so without further ado, it's David Cohn. All right, we're here with David Cohn. Uh, you obviously, you know the name, you know the voice, you know the career. Yes, Network, ESPN. You got a podcast with John Boy. You're doing it all. You've done it all. 
last night we started Mets Yankees Subway Series, and about a week ago we had Nestor Cortez saying, you know, the Red Sox Yankees rivalry isn't what it used to be, and I I agree. I know Red Sox fans got upset. I actually agreed with what Nestor had to say. Like there was no juice to that series over the weekend. Um, but I had agreed with him before he even said that, uh, before they even played that series. So you have Mets Yankees. Where would you power rank or how would you power rank the Yankees rivals right now? Uh, especially after seeing Mets Yankees last night. Well, I guess there's two different ways to look at it. It's sort of the generational pull from the fan base, which will always be Red Sox Yankees. It just, it just is. It's, uh, you know, it's bigger than the players on the field. It's more about grandfathers and grandsons, you know, and that sort of thing. Grandmothers and granddaughters that just pull you into that rivalry. But on the field right now, amongst the players, I would certainly say that Tampa Bay is in the Yankees' heads right now. They're in everybody's heads right now. The, the Rays are the Rays, and they're they're they are just uh, mystifying the entire league. They're the envy of the industry. Nobody can figure out how they're doing it on their budget. How the heck did everybody start hitting home runs down there seemingly overnight from from last year to this year? And they've they've always been able to develop pitchers and have diversity in their bullpen, side armors, overhanders, different styles, as Dallas knows very well, seeing them play. So it's it's on the field. It's a race right now, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, so I, I saw something earlier. I was, I was trying to read up, and I saw uh, a story about after you had retired that you were going to be doing work for Yes, but Steinbrenner was mad that you had signed with the Mets. So he was like, get him out of here. What was that? <laughs> A, is that story true? And B, have you grown to appreciate, uh, I guess, like the iron fist that the boss ruled with during his time? Yes, it is a true story, without a doubt. <laughs> I was I was, uh, I was, was part of the Yes Network when they first started. The first year was... 01, uh, right? Yeah, 01. And that was my last year. Actually, it was with the Red Sox in 01. I played mm-hmm. for Boston. And uh, that didn't sit so well with George Steinbrenner at that point, but he was starting a new network. So he kind of welcomed me back in the fold, you know, after the Red Sox stint. And then uh, John Franco and Al Leiter called me and said, hey, you want to give it one more shot? So after the first year with the Yes Network, I went back and tried to come back with the Mets and that he blew a gasket. He called me and read me the riot act. He told me, you told me you were retiring. You need to be a broadcaster. I brought you into the Yes Network. We need you there. And I said, George, I, I got to get it out of my system. I, I, I got to try to pitch one more time. And he said, I'm very disappointed in you. I'm very disappointed in you. And he hung up the phone on me. And I, had, I was on probation for about five years after that Red Sox, after the Mets, Red Sox year. And then after the Mets year, you know, I, I had no chance to get hired back. I had to kind of go on probation, so to speak, for five years. And luckily, John Filippelli, the, the executive producer of the Yes Network, talked him into giving me another shot. So about five years later, I was, I was back doing Yankee games. That's incredible. It's he's a legend. <laughs> he, you know, we we caught Steinbrenner just just to kind of finish that point. We caught George in the '90s. He was a different guy than he was in the '70s. I mean, he was an animal in the '70s. I mean, those guys. He was really and nobody had seen him before. They didn't really know him that well, and he was intimidating. And he fired guys right and left, and the whole Billy Martin thing, and back and forth. And he would come down to the clubhouse and argue with the players. Or, Rick Cerrone, the catcher for the Yankees back then, kicked him out of the clubhouse back then. I mean, there were threatened, you know, fights back and forth back in the 70s. By the time it was the 90s, he was like our, our crazy grandfather. You know, we embraced <laughs> him. I would, I would stir up the, I was like a soup spoon. I would stir it up and say, go, 
go talk to O'Neal. He's not ready to play. You know, he's got something else on his mind and George would light up and he'd go over and try to give him a pep talk. And, you know, George was a football coach at Purdue. He was an all, he really is. He always wanted to be a coach. You yeah. know, Dallas, he wanted to be in the hitters meetings in the postseason. He wanted, he'd be over the hit, the hitting coach's shoulder, reading the scouting reports. And that was George. He, he thought he was a coach. He wanted to be so badly in that room with the coaches. <laughs> well, Coney, let me ask you. So, do you think that do you think that that sort of um, involvement from the higher up, from the pinnacle of the mountain, do you think that that sort of involvement would uh, would still have the impact today in today's game with the personalities of today's player that it absolutely had back then? Because even in the way you describe the interactions, I, I think you can hear the hint of respect for how he did it. The understanding of, I mean, the guy might have been a psycho, but there's a reason why you have the respect of a city and there's a reason that you build such a dynasty is because the respect that you do have, I think, to a level is understood. So could that could that fly? Could George come down today? You know, George, in, in any organization, do you think that flies today? Well, you know, it's a great point. And it's, it, I, I think probably he'd be a little bit different armed with more information and more analysts uh, surrounding him, but he would definitely be more of a blended old school, new school guy. He believed in feel. He believed in the battle for the back page. He understood that better than anybody, the publicity of the game. And if you think about it, George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees for seven to $10 million back in the, in the seventies. And he built it brick by brick up to what it is now. I don't know what they're worth now. 10 billion, maybe. I don't know with the yes network involved. <laughs> It is an, an enormous uh, buildup to what he did. The, the legacy he left behind was just a relentless battle for the back page, publicity, building the fan base up. You know, what, you think about what's happened in San Diego with the Padres, with Peter Seidler out there and what he's done, the trade for Soto, all the money he's thrown at free agents, how much the fan base has gotten, you know, inspired by that and lines around the block to buy tickets, season tickets. That was George. George understood that. And I think uh, some of the Yankee fans nowadays, they expect that still, you know, that, wait a minute, where's that relentless pursuit anything, do anything to win? Um, you know, I, that is missed. That part is missed. As far as the players go in the clubhouse, my sense is, is that some of these players want to be coached. They kind of, they kind of miss that. Maybe there's a little too much of the, Hey, just trust the process. You know, everything's okay. You know, the, don't get too hung up on the results of, 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 of uh, what happens. Just trust what you're doing. Everything will work out in the long run. I think that some of the players are a little bit of, you know what, I, I, we need to win. You know, there, there is something to have that mentality to win. And I get it. You know, sports psychiatry and sports psychiatrists are in, in the building now and they talk about, hey, process and everything in place and, you know, do what you need to do and the things you can control. But there is something to be said for, you know what? We need to win this game, you know, and then that means yeah. something. Re well, ra raising those level of expectations with yourself. You know, I we, we do these keys to the game that you're very well aware of before each game. And and for the A's, you know, starting the series against the Rays, I had jokingly said raise expectations, R-A-Y-S, raise expectations, meaning you're, you're, you're playing a team that you're sort of mirroring right now and how well you're playing as a group. So you have to have those expectations of yourself and having a guy like the boss come down and letting you know what the business is could probably start that fire, right? Oh, I agree. I mean, there, there's what it does is it makes you accountable. There's an accountability. And, and you, you, know, you guys know this in Dallas, especially you, when you're in a major league clubhouse, 
you're accountable to your teammates. And, and the, you know, mm. if it's your day to pitch, and I saw you on the mound, Dallas, I know how seriously you took it. You were an animal. You were a different being when you got on the mound. I mean, the guy that screamed at Alex Rodriguez that day to get off my mound, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the beast when you're on the mound. You're an animal on the mound. And sometimes you're out of your, it's almost an out-of-body experience. But what comes with that is your teammates respect you because they see how accountable you are to your day when you're pitching. And if you're, you know, if you're not into it or, you know, you look like, hey, wait a minute, I'm not, you know, I give up, you know, or things aren't perfect today. I'm not pitching well. And you kind of, you, you, you sense it, your body language goes dead and your teammates pick up on that. And that's, that's a death knell in a major league clubhouse. And that's the mm. accountability that comes with everything we're talking about right here. And, and that responsibility that you feel, you know, when it's your day to pitch, especially as a pitcher or even for anybody, anybody in that clubhouse. And, if you give a lackadaisical effort or you're not there or you're drifting mentally, you're letting down everybody else in that clubhouse. We interrupt this interview with David Cohn to bring you a word from our sponsor, Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. I live pretty close to Fenway Park, so one of my favorite things about the Game Time app is their flash deals and their last-minute tickets. If it's 30 minutes before the game and I feel like heading over to Fenway, I know that Game Time has me covered with those last-minute tickets. Because Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code JARED for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code JARED for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Now, back to our interview with David Cohn. I, uh, I, I, I kind of want to ask both of you this question. You can... I guess, interact on the answer because I've been with Dallas for seven, eight years now, and I'm always fascinated to hear about uh, the the perfect game story with Dallas where Mark Burley threw the perfect game before him and he called him after Dallas threw his, but the next guy in line was Roy Halladay and Dallas was like, I don't know if that's a call that I can make. David Wells was the one before you. Did he call you? And then after you, was Randy Johnson. Did you call Randy Johnson? I did not call Randy Johnson. Uh, I did talk to him later and congr- congratulate him, but I, I did not call him. I did not. Um, okay. uh, Wells did call me during the game. He was in Toronto. Yes. So he, he did call me. Um, you know, ironically, the, the, the funny part of that is that the next guy after me to throw a perfect game was supposed to be Mike Mussina at Fenway Park one I night. I was there and, that night. <laughs> yes, and that was going to happen. And the ironic part of that is I ended up consoling Mike Mussina after that game and saying, hey, man, you, you don't let it get to you. He was devastated. Mm-hmm. Carl Everett, one pitch away, Dallas. Two, bottom of the ninth, two outs, 0-2 count, high fought fastball. Him <laughs> yeah, fought him off the left field. No, no perfect game. It was unbelievable. But I pitched against Mucina in that game for the Red Sox, and I had a shutout after nine, after eight innings. So I went out to pitch the ninth inning, and I gave up a run to set him up. So theoretically, I could have blocked the perfect game. All right. It would have been 0-0. If I would have thrown a shutout and matched him, 
then we've seen it could have thrown a perfect game just like Pedro Martinez did back in the day with with the Dodgers, oh. and it would not have counted. So theoretically, I, I, I was trying to block Mucina from being the next perfect game pitcher. <laughs> That's crazy. I tell you, though, that makes me feel so much better, so much better about <laughs> not having made the phone call to Doc. And obviously – with the you know with how things worked out with Doc and him no longer being with us, uh, and I, I've told Jared this before, it, it may be one of the biggest regrets of my baseball life because I, I had the opportunity to speak to somebody far greater than I could have ever hoped to be. And if I was ever going to have that shot, if I was ever going to be in the same sentence as a dude like Doc, it was going to be because I made some stupid phone call after the game and congratulating <laughs> a Hall of Fame talent on doing something really cool that I. I'm going to live my whole life hanging my hat on. And he's like, buddy, that was a slow Tuesday. You know, things worked out. Thanks, kid. That was, uh, yeah. that was cute. You know? Yeah. Randy Johnson was pretty good. Yes, he was. If I, had to, if I had to pick one pitcher, he's my answer. The one guy, you know, the proverbial, you got to win this game. Your life's on the line. You got to pick one starting pitcher to win this game. I'm picking Randy Johnson. I'm sorry. I mean, pick anybody you want in history, but he, he neutralized the whole left-handed. Left-handed batters didn't even play against him because they, they didn't no. want to face him. So. He would take out the whole uh, left-handed batting side of the lineup. Well, and, and imagine a dude like that with with his ferocity and the tenacity and the stuff. I mean, the first two things are what you want in a big game pitcher, right? The the lack yeah. of fear and the intensity. And then you match that with a knee-buckling slider. I mean, that's a soul-snatching yeah. slider. And then on yeah. top of that, you got 100-plus, and he's letting go of it 40 feet away from you. Good luck. Yeah, in, in a dingy no kingdom, too, with a dingy, foggy kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cody, I wanted to ask you about, and I'm sure you've answered this on the podcast and probably on the broadcast as well, but being being a generational talent yourself and having competed across, um, across different eras, when you see today's game, do you... Do you smell? Do you have hints of what it used to be like when you're watching the lack of shifting occurred, more athleticism on display. Is there a hint of the quote-unquote old game that starts to come up for you from time to time as you're taking it in these days? It's a, it's a great point, Dallas. And this goes into the question, Jared, you asked before in, in terms of you know the whole Steinbrenner thing and how the current players would, would sort of react to, to sort of that old-school mentality. And yes, I do see it. I saw it last night with Luis Severino. He's struggling. Boone's coming to take him out of the game as a starting pitcher. And he looked in the dugout and implored him, not no, leave me in this game. And I mm -hmm. think especially among starting pitchers, they're desperate to pitch deeper into the games. They're, they really want this. Uh, it's been taken out of their hands the third time through the lineup. We all know the numbers. We all know analytics. You know, anybody who's following the game knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I get it. Bullpen management. The relievers, you have so many good relievers nowadays. It's much deeper. The bullpens are a lot, lot more velocity. I get, I see the numbers. But nonetheless, these starting pitchers, they want to go deeper. They, they get, they're tired of getting compared to, to guys like us from the past that were allowed to throw more pitches or allowed to pitch more innings. Uh, so, yes, uh, you know, I, I think there, there is hints of that, especially among starting pitchers. And I think there is hints of that, too, in, in terms of the lineup. When you see somebody like Luis Arise in Miami swing the bat yeah. like he is for hits. And hitting the ball all over the place, you know that 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 gradually some of this old school stuff is creeping back into the game. Uh, you know, you play to win the game, right? Herm Edwards, you play to win That's the game, mm -hmm. and sometimes there's situational uh, hitting that comes up in a game where you have to give yourself up. You know, you just don't, you know, try to launch every time up there. That you know, we can win this game if I just do this. 
move that mm-hmm. runner or give myself up or do something selfless. You know, I think there really is a, a yearning for that in the game. I think these players today, they see that and they do want to be like that. Uh, we had, uh, and by now it's like five years ago at this point, but there was an incident here in Boston with uh, Dennis Eckersley saying something on the broadcast that upset one of the players and it became a whole thing. As a former player with the resume that you have, uh, do you feel like you ever have to walk uh, a tight line with any type of criticism that you have because you know that as a former player, what you say carries more weight? Um, how have you navigated i guess doing a local broadcast and having to be around every single day uh while maintaining relationships if that's something that's important to you well it is um you know that whole eckersley situation shook a lot of us up you know i talked to ron darling about it you know some guys my contemporaries from from the 80s and 90s that pitched back then we you know for the mets we had tim mccarver call our games for years and ralph kiner and we ne- we listen to them and learn from them. You know, we never second guess them, you know, and, and certainly I guess the dynamic's different. You have to know Dennis Eckersley like you do, Jared, like the people in Boston know. Eck was just Eck. He never meant anything. There's not a bad bone in his body. He didn't mean anything by it. And whatever he said, it was just to be sarcastic or to, to kind of be entertaining on, on the broadcast. And I think sometimes the players lose sight of that. We're all competing. You guys are we're competing right now with your podcast, you know, we we're all trying to get better. We're all trying to, to carve our way, you know, and, and, and make our way. And the same thing with broadcasters. We're up there competing, too. So I think the players lose sight of that of, in terms of, oh, we're just there for them. We're supposed to be cheerleaders in the, in the box for them. Or we're just supposed to be all about them. No, no, no. I have a career as a broadcaster. Dennis Eckersley had a career as a broadcaster. Dallas Braden has a career. Jared, you have a career. You're trying to grow and build. And it's not just about waving pom-poms. For the players on the field, you know, we Mm -hmm. have to we have to be honest because otherwise you lose credibility. And if you lose credibility, your career might as well just just go go by the wayside. Was there ever a player in particular that didn't understand that and you had to have a conversation with them about your point of view now on the broadcasting side of things? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say specifically any one player, but I think there's a message that I kind of get across when, you know, if I'm in spring training or if there's a chance to talk to some of the guys on an informal level when they're not preparing for a game, when you can catch them on some downtime, you just kind of say, you know what, if you're just in front of your locker after a bad game and you get it over with, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Just be honest. You know, you don't have to answer every tough question that comes your way. It's very easy to deflect. If you don't like the question that's coming your way, just say, well, I don't know about that. But what I can tell you is this and say what you want to say. Don't get mad at the interviewer. Don't get mad at any questions that come your way and just be accountable. Be honest and be in front of your locker. Don't hide when you have a bad game and don't be the first one to talk when you're five for five or you or you throw a shutout, you know, or you have a great mm-hmm. game. So that's a very simple formula that I think is a little bit lost because it seems like PR departments nowadays in professional leagues are trying to control the message a little too much, you know, and and, and limit accessibility to the players so that they can control that message a little bit more. And I think you you guys see your guys shaking your head, you know, because you're covering the game and you see this on a daily basis. And to me, that's that's the wrong message to send to, to, to professional players nowadays to try to control the message because you cannot you cannot fight the media. You can't control the message. What you can't control is what you say and how accessible you are and how honest you are. And therefore, you retain your credibility and you'll get the benefit of the doubt in the long run if you handle yourself that way. 
hundred percent has has operating on this side of the microphone and now even more extensively in the podcast world because you're a guy who just gets it. I mean, I, I remember the first time I met you, you treated me like you and I had known each other for ten years, and I was just completely blown away by that. And then two minutes after the fact, I, I understood exactly why. Like I said, you just you just get it. So has has working in the podcast world where you do have the opportunity to kind of zoom out and assess things from a different angle, more so than just analyzing the game from game to game. Has that helped you sort of make that um, adaptation into today's player and communicating with today's player and not being as rigid as maybe some of the more buttoned up types like to be and just being able to communicate with guys? Absolutely. It does. You know, it's trying to stay as current as possible, trying to understand that, in a lot of ways, the game is so different, but the players are very similar to the way we were. They're, you know, they're still still ball players. They still came up the same yeah. way the way we did. They still love the game the way we did. It's just they, they're playing under different circumstances. Uh, they can't go to the hotel bars like we did. We used to hang out at the hotel bars, you know, and have a drink with maybe even the beat writer. You know, Jared, That's if right. you were covering the you were covering the team, hey, they, I'll see you at the bar. We'll have a beer. Everything's off the record. You know, mm-hmm. and you get to know each other that way. That's just not going to happen anymore. These guys are kind of sequestered in their hotel rooms nowadays. If they do go out to dinner, they got to have security. They got to make sure they're covered and cover each other. I mean, there, there, there's some so many more, uh, you know, sort of uh, speed bumps out there for these guys to, to maneuver around than we had. We were free. You know, I was free yes. up until, you know, to, 2000 year 2000 2001 with the Red Sox in through 2003 I was free as a bird to do whatever I wanted on you know on or off the field and you know we had a lot of fun with that we, we hung out together we had some beers together and we learned the game together and I think yeah you know, I feel for these guys nowadays they have to be so much more guarded and it, and it is so hard to play this game and sometimes you lose sight of that when you're in the broadcast booth for a few years you kind of forget man that I forgot kind of forgot how hard this is to play this game and and, and give respect where respect is due. I mean, these guys are throwing hard nowadays. These relievers are are really bringing it nowadays. And, you know, it's it's okay to give credit. It's okay to say, you know what? These, in some ways, these guys are better than we were. And, uh, and the training and the athleticism and how big these guys are, it's it, it just oh. uh, I never lose sight of that. We're around a batting cage in a big league park nowadays, pick one, anyone. You look at how huge these guys are nowadays, how strong they are, how well-trained they are. When I broke in with the Royals in the 80s, George Brett never lifted a weight. You know, we had a weight room at right. Royal Stadium back in 1985, 86 when I broke in. It was like it had a Cybex bike and a little Nautilus, one Nautilus machine. And that was the weight room at Royal <laughs> Stadium in 1986. So go figure. Think about that now. The, the training you see these guys do now, it's just incredible. We interrupt this interview with David Cohn to bring you a word from our sponsor. This episode of Baseball is Dead is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. But when we spend all of our time giving... It can leave us feeling stretched, thin, and burned out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy can be good for anybody, so if you're feeling like you could benefit from someone to talk to, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com baseball today to give you 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash baseball. And now back to our interview with David Cohn. So you've obviously worked with a lot of professionals, a lot of all-time legends on and off the field. What's it like to switch things up and work with somebody like Carl Ravitch in the booth? Uh, the guys are so, so, so generous. Let me tell you that, you know, I mean, Carl was a studio guy for a lot of years, baseball tonight for all those years. He really paid his dues. I'm happy to see him get a shot and he couldn't be nicer. He really could, you know, and, and Eduardo is a sweetheart of a, of a guy. He grew up in a major league clubhouse with Tony Perez. Eduardo still to this day thinks like a player, you know, when, when Dallas knows this and Jared, you know this too, when you you're kind of, you, we're media, right? We, we don't go into the trainer's room. We don't go to the video room. You you hang out with the media and you have one hour a day access to the clubhouse. And, you, you know, when it's time to get out, you get out. And when, when the clubhouse is closed, you can't go in. Not for Eduardo. Eduardo's Lee, he, he's the kid who grew up in the clubhouse. He's, he'll sneak around the back door. He knows everywhere in every ballpark. He'll be in the video room talking to Adam Wainwright. You know, last year we had Adam Wainwright on to do, mic'd up for his pregame warm-up. And Eduardo made that happen by sneaking into the video room the day before Wainwright was pitching and talk him into it. He actually talked him into that. So, you know, the, the guys are great. I love them. I don't, you know, you never know. It's so subjective. You never know how you come off. You know, it's like some people hate you. Oh, this is, a, this is an awful crew. And other people say, no, this is, this is okay. This is better. So, but I, I love the guys. They're generous, no egos. They're sweethearts. And I think we're getting better. We're trying to be an easy listen. We're trying not to annoy people, but it's so hard. When people want their own fan, but they want their own announcers. You know, if you're the Red Sox, oh. you you want and you want your own guys calling that game. And then when you got a Sunday night game, it's like, oh no, you know, it's mm. you know we don't have our guys that we love. You know, and, and so that's that's a that's a difficult thing to maneuver when you're a national broadcast going once a week. It's what do you enjoy so the most? To, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, no, I was just going to follow up on the Eduardo point because it's so funny to hear somebody with your resume and your stature talk about Eduardo that way because I've experienced that myself and obviously it was it was my perspective on it would be one thing but to hear you basically say the same thing I would describe it as <laughs> like him being the mayor of the clubhouse or wherever he happens to be I saw him in Cooperstown last year and that was exactly what it was uh and it's he's just one of a kind he really is. he's an original he is i mean perfectly bilingual and as I said, there's no substitute for as a kid growing up, especially when you think about who broke him in. It was the big red machine, you know, Pete yeah. Rose and that crew, Tony Perez, Johnny Bench, all those guys. That's how he grew up. He was a kid in that clubhouse with with those maniacs. So, you know, he was he, he's one of a kind. He's, a, he's an original the way he was groomed. You've got a uh, towing the slab new episode out today. Uh, being a podcaster, doing national broadcasts and, and a regional broadcast, which one do you enjoy the most? And and I would I'm not even going to ask you which one is most challenging because it would probably be I'm, I'm assuming it's it's the national broadcast. Yeah, no, dead on it is. I mean, because we're all still getting to know each other. We're in our second year, and there's so much to squeeze into a production when it's a once a week job as opposed to if you're doing a, if I'm doing a Yankee Red Sox game or anybody Yankees Minnesota Twins game, I mean I can relax. I know I know the Yankees like the back of my hand. I know the American League East very well up and down. We've seen them a lot over the last several years. So if it's a Yankee Red Sox game, I could show up at, at 
quarter to seven and do that game and without any prep and no, you know, and, and still, still do a decent job. So uh, you can peel back the layers of pitching. You can, you can talk more about what you want to on a local broadcast. On the national broadcast, you really got to pick your spots. And with the pitch clock, you really got to be concise. You got to jump in and jump out. And, you, and there's so many times on a national broadcast where I have a thought in my head and I just sit on it and then it goes away because there's no time to fit it in depending on how the inning goes or how the pitch clock affects the, the timing of the game nowadays. Yeah. Uh, that's the, Those are two questions I wanted to ask you before we let you go. Uh, one, do you feel that you would have been able to find a way to manipulate the pitch clock to your advantage? Because that's something the minute that I knew this was going to be a thing at the big league level, I started thinking about how would I be able to utilize this to my advantage? I know I've got two disengagements. I know the third one, I've got to nail his ass or he's going to second. And I do still have the ability to disrupt and control this finite amount of time that they have given us now. Does, is that something that you thought about? And do you think that you would be able to find a way to get comfortable with it to the point where you were still in the driver's seat with the clock? Yeah, no, I, I definitely would. Uh, and I still think that, that people are still learning how to do it. There's a lot of meat left on the bone. There should be no mound visits left on any major league game anymore. You know, that that's the that's the ace in the hole for a pitcher. Just take a mound visit, call them out. You see the clock yep. going down, you're not comfortable, you're worn out, or you had to run to cover first. Let's take one of those mound visits right now. It's okay. And I don't see pitchers do that at all almost. It's like step off, call the catcher out. Timeout. You do have a timeout if you're a pitcher, and it's called the mound visit. So use those. How many big major league games do you see where there's three or four left on the scoreboard in the ninth inning? That should never be the case anymore. And secondly, with a man on first who's fast, ready to steal second. I'm ready to go quickly, and I want to get on the mound. I want that hitter in the box at the 18-second mark or the 16-second mark, and I want to make him burn a timeout as soon as I can so that I can hold the ball. I can hold the ball for 16 seconds. If he, if he acknowledges me, I've got the sign already. Give me the sign quick, you know, on the pitch comm. I'm here. I'm ready to set. You acknowledge me. I'm in the set position at the 16-second mark. I'm going to hold it till one second and freeze that runner at first base. And there's nothing yes. the hitter can do about it. He can't step out. If he does, he burns his timeout. So the, to control the running game, absolutely. The hitters are the ones that haven't figured it out yet. Don't step <laughs> into the box and acknowledge him till the 10-second <laughs> mark. You know, don't get in there too soon with a man on first. Because if you do, you're doing me a favor on the mound. And I don't think – I've seen it a little bit. Max Muncy did it one game we did with the Dodgers on Sunday night. He was waiting. He was looking at the clock. And he waited till 10 seconds with Mookie Betts on first base. So, so there, you know, some players are picking up on that, but don't allow me to hold the ball for 15 seconds on the mound when you're trying to steal second base with a fast runner on first. Mm. That, that's um, fascinating because I feel like we don't hear stuff like that. And broadcasters are not going to offer that up on the broadcast. I feel like that's uh, those, that's the stuff that's getting whispered about at, at the batting cage during BP, but not so much in a, in a public forum. So that's very, very interesting. Um, okay. David Cohn, thank you so much for taking the time. It is dcohn36 on Twitter. The podcast is Towing the Slab with David Cohn. New episode is out today, episode 93, uh, where Coney explains how he would pitch to this Yankees team. Well, with Stanton, it's just a slider away. Very easy. Very easy. Coney, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure. We're going to have to do this again very soon. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. Good to be on with you guys. Dallas, Jared, and Justin, everybody. Joey, nice job. Good to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Cohn. 
Big thanks to David Cohn for making the time. Shout out to Coney. Um, that is a that's a privilege and an honor. How many times have you interacted with uh, someone else in the Perfect Game Club, Dallas? Um, it's been minimal. It's been minimal. Definitely Coney the most. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I remember the I think it was like the last time, last time we spoke in Boston. He basically he was like, "Look, if you call me fucking Mister Cone." one more time i think i'm going to call the hall and have them remove the fucking perfect game from your resume all right fucking knock it off so uh it's always very weird for me to even talk to talk to uh to coney and i don't yeah i just anytime that dude talks i want to listen that's how i treat all the older ball players that i'm around i don't care what your status is i don't care what the back of your card looks like i just want to hear what you have to say i i they deserve that respect i give them that respect so, uh, for, for Coney, he's just a dude who, like, like you said, Jared, I, I just love talking baseball with that dude. And that's a guy. And Ron Darling, he mentioned is another one where I look forward to going to New York because inevitably I'll find him. And there'll be a day where, you know, we just end up talking for fucking 30 minutes, whether it's in the lunchroom in the press box, whatever, but, uh, yeah, m- minimal, minimal interaction as far as that club is concerned. Uh, how many, if you can name them, how many perfect game throwers have you met and interacted with in real life well we did we Ooh. did the we did the podcast with david wells <laughs> yeah with yep yeah, with boomer uh i mean what burley boomer and coney uh, honestly are, are are probably it i gotta find that clip i think that's it that's yeah, it. I mean, uh, there's just not much, um, you know, it's not like they have a fucking, it's not like they have a meeting every off season that I get invited to or anything like that. No, but you're, you're around the game a lot. Yeah, but I mean, how many of the other guys like, okay, so like Felix, I'm you know, pulling like up, the, I'm pulling up the list Fe- because I think, I think there's a practical issue that we're missing here. Um, well, no, I mean, alive? that's an obvious issue. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm saying I no, but like, I, I think we need to like step back and say, all right, here are the guys that are alive. Like, yeah, there's more of us that are or there's less of us that are alive than dead. Right. Yeah. Like how many of these guys would you have interacted with? So we got Felix. Have you ever met Matt Kane? Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's one. Philip Umber. There's one. Uh, No. Who? We are, Umber. We already oh. talked about Halliday, Burley, Big Unit, Cone, Wells, Kenny Rogers. Uh, have not talked to Kenny Rogers. Hmm. Uh, El Capitan or El Presidente, excuse me, Dennis Martinez. I have, not, I have not talked to El, El Presidente either. Denny, shout out Denny. Uh, Tom Browning, is he still alive? I have not talked to Tom that. Browning. Mike Witt. The original? No. No. Len Barker? Nope. Catfish Hunter? Nope. Celebrate that dude daily, but nope. Sandy, Jim Bunning. Yeah, now we're getting into troublesome territory. Yep, okay. <laughs> troublesome territory. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, see, but see, like, so Sandy, like, I've, you know, Sandy, Kaner. So maybe, so more than, yeah, more than I guess I, I thought about, but yeah. This, uh, this discussion with it, David Wells coming up, I, I found the clip. This is from an interview that Dallas and I did with David Wells. Um, and if you're familiar, maybe you're not familiar because now it's been a few years at this point. Uh, Babe Ruth murdered his wife by setting her house on fire. It's um, this was, not even cl- that's so they got married. And then Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth asked for her to divorce him. She refused unless he paid her one hundred twenty five thousand dollars, which in today's world is over a million dollars. And she said no. And he stormed out of the room. And then two weeks later, her house burned to the ground and she was dead. So this is from a Look, you have a beef. Nope, I don't. This that those are just facts. No, uh, this yeah, yeah, this is from an interview. You have a, you have a beef with, with shoddy craftsmanship. With Boomer Wells. We've got we got one question left. This is the final question we ask each and every one of our guests, and I I feel like I've got an idea of where this might be hmm. going. Karamas, and you could come along for the ride, big boy. That's fine. <clears throat> if you could jump. In a hot tub time machine. A regular time machine. Put you in a hot tub time machine. One of my favorite machine, movies. Go to movie. Of course. It is. Send you back to any moment in baseball history and you can witness it live. What moment and why? God, you know what? I, I, it's easy for me because anything that has to do with Babe Ruth, I'm going, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. I mean, I want to kill her career so bad because I think if him and I were on the same team. You know, you got pitcher and hitter. It would be, it would be tremendous. It would be chaos, but it would be awesome. But just to go back and, and hang with that dude with Lou oh. Garrett, you know, all that 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 whole nineteen twenty seven Yankees, which we were better in nineteen. Murderers Row, right? Murderers Row. But just yep. to be there with that twenty seven team and hang out, that would be the ultimate for me. Because oh, man. You, know, you guys would set the world on fire. Okay, just a bunch of scum. I mean, like '98 team, we had a bunch of scumbags. And your backdrop, all those guys right there. There's a couple there that were, you know, that went went to bed early and all that. We were all scumbags. That's why we burned it down. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, we did. Just taking an unassuming individual and in boomer who shared his time with us <laughs> and turning him into a fucking soundbite. You are an evil, evil person. Listen, listen, I just. It was interesting to me that that 1927 Yankees team was called Murderers Row when they had an actual murderer on the team. They did not. It, it was, mm-hmm. There's speculation now, so many years down the road. There's <laughs> speculation now. Some twat Red Sox fan who's still bitter about the sale uh, back at 08. It has nothing to do with my fandom. This has everything to do. Joe, what do you think? Is this your first exposure to this? Uh, no, I already knew Babe Ruth killed his wife. <laughs> he didn't fucking kill his wife. He did. I'm telling he you, did. Jared Allegedly. has an issue with the shoddy craftsmanship no, of the early 20s. Mm-hmm. Electrical was not as sound as it is today. Mm-hmm. Some wires get right. crossed. You got a bad connection, a spark. Helen was tired trying to fucking get some Z's in. And, mm-hmm. you know, the unfortunate things happen. So you're really, your beef w- is with folks who, you know, who aren't doing the due diligence 
when it comes to inspecting homes and properties of the nature, like that's that's where your beef is. And I understand. So probably take it up with what's the current HOA. Take it up there. I was just fucking Jay. I'm going to fucking kill you. Um, We got to talk about the sticky stuff situation. Talking sticky stuff situation. I'd like to yank on him. I think for the uh, Mets, you've got to feel targeted at this point, don't you? Yeah. You've got to feel they've targeted. To cheat. No? They've been known to cheat in the past. They've gotten away with some things. Let's just say that. Joey, speak on speak on this situation. Speak on your Mets and how the umpires are out to get you guys. I don't think the umpires are out to get us. I think we had a guy who cheated, allegedly. I really didn't see this up close. I didn't go back and look at the spin rates or what the umpire said. I know he said, and he said the umpire said he was all good uh no so the, the it was an I'll, here's the quote the mlb official said that it was fine so you're how, how sticky were your hands i don't think they were sticky yeah yeah i mean obviously i obviously they do um i'm sure they're going to come out with a with a statement saying something similar to max's like stickiest hands ever or whatnot but um <coughs> my hands were sticky and i had everybody check them as i was coming off the field i don't know if that was caught on camera um, the MLB guy in the, in the tunnel, I kind of forced him to feel my hands as I walked in. I just grabbed him like this and pulled and he actually laughed and said there was nothing there. So, uh, I don't really know what else to do. Mm, that's, uh, Drew Smith of the Mets who was ejected for having a sticky substance. It was, it, I felt bad because it felt like a, a moment of panic for him. Obviously, like he he had all four umpires out on the mound. He's got his teammates out on the mound. He's g- literally grabbing his teammates' hands and like making them feel his hands. He's like, "Feel my hands!" Like I'm not. They're not sticky. They're not sticky. So I, I think it's less about the Mets. It's less about Drew here. It's more about um, the problem that Major League Baseball has now created for themselves. Where where do we draw the line? Uh, we are now having guys get ejected from baseball games for using a substance that the league provides for them. The rosin bag is on the back of the mound. They're out there using the rosin bag. They're mixing it with sweat. And they're like, yeah, this is to get a little tack, but not too much tack. Well, how do we know? Like, it's not like a soap dispenser where it's like, all right, one pump is enough. Like, that's enough soap. And he's out there with four pumps of soap. And it's like, well, yeah, you pumped it four times. Well, how do they fix this problem? Because it there's we're now going into an umpire's discretion to fix it. There's no there's well, no fixing it. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. They got so you're just going to have guys just continuously get kicked out when it's like, I didn't. I didn't know that that was too much. Like you're giving me the substance and I'm using it. And then you're going to eject me and then not just eject me, but then suspend me for 10 games uh-huh. for a substance that you have provided as the league. And, and now well, and I now, know it's what it is. It could be something else. It doesn't have to be rosin. You don't know. I, I, I well, guess we don't know, but that's the argument. Like, I, I, I think at this point, the only thing like the, uh, how do you how do you track this? So think about a starting pitcher having a camera or a pitcher in general 
having a camera fixated on them during their entire outing. Is that how you solve this? Is that what it would take? What if you were to provide that sort of footage? So a condensed 30-minute quick run of everywhere that the pitcher has been during his outing, sitting in the dugout, blah, 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 blah. And you were to give that to the governing body. And they were to see that Drew Smith left the dugout zero times during his outing and never touched anything other than a cup of water, his seeds, a glove, a towel, and then went out to the mound, sweating, grabbed your rosin bag that you've provided, and then went back into the dugout. What would we do if that was the footage that was available? Would we not suspend him? Would he not be ejected? How, 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 what is the answer? That's what, that's where my question is. What is the solution? Not how big is the problem, but what is the solution here? Like in what way could you appease the authority? And it feels like short of me as a pitcher, just sitting in one spot so that I can physically prove that I haven't touched anything. I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't done anything short of that. You are dealing with just the umpire's discretion. And so what one guy who, I don't know, maybe this guy was a beekeeper and what his level of sticky is completely different than a guy who's never, ever even touched honey before. So he has no idea what it's like to have sticky fingers. Maybe he's never broken up herb to roll a blunt. He has no idea what it's like to have sticky fingers. His level of sticky different from another guy's level of sticky so where do we draw the line you can't there is no line to be drawn there isn't it's gray it's it's muddy gray it's fucking insane it's insane that we're dealing with this in a game today with all of the technological advancements available to us that we're still having this discussion joe what's it's also funny because like I guess everyone says it's a rosin, and but you know the they have new rosin now. I guess the past uh-huh. two years, and it's like it's stickier on purpose. Like that's why they got it, so pitchers could get more of a grip. Because I think the real problem with MLB right now is that they know the baseball on its own is like very slippery and inconsistent, and they know if they just ban foreign substance altogether and like really crack down on it, like they could easily just like suspend anyone who uses anything. It's pretty easy to tell, but they they let it go most of the time. But if they let it all go, or if they crack down on all of it, it's going to be a shit show because they've already acknowledged the ball is slippery as shit, and like pitchers are going to complain. They're going to say they're going to hit guys. Uh, but if they but crack like, down on none of it, it's just spin rate's going to go back up to where it was, where it was like a real problem in 2021. But the real the real problem lies somewhere somewhere far before we ever get to the sticky stuff. And you just said it. They've acknowledged that the balls are slick. Do we need to have the same conversation we had a few weeks ago where I talked to everybody like they're third graders and they don't understand the difference between mud and dirt? and the process of mud drying out? Like, do we have to have that conversation again? Because remember, the balls are covered with mud, and we know that mud turns to dirt when it dries. 
And so pitchers are being given dirty, dusty baseballs to throw because the mud they're being rubbed up in earlier turns to fucking dirt. That will always be true. Get it? Regardless of what substance you want to rub up the baseball with, regardless of what substance you want out there on the mound, okay, as long as you're doing it with mud, it will always turn to dirt and the ball will always be slippery and chalky all the time. That's why they're trying to get rid of the mud. They're trying to ban the mud, which is kind of sad, but it's kind of the way they got to do it. I think that's the whole plan. The whole point MLB is trying to do right now is make a stickier ball like they have in Japan so pitchers can't bitch about the ball. And that way they can crack down on all this shit and have no gray area. But that's going to take fucking however long it takes to make a ball that people actually like. They haven't been able to do that. been trying for years. Yeah, well, they're okay with making multiple balls that nobody likes. So I figure like the effort to be able to you know, focus in on one that people do like, if you were interested in doing that, should be a fairly simple effort in terms of getting from A to B. We need a ball. Now we have one. That should be a simple <laughs> process, especially if you own that process now. It's not, dude. I mean, I don't know if it is or not, but it hasn't been. They've tried this new new balls in the minor leagues like every year since at least since 2021. And they try goes back to like 2016, I think. The new ball this year they're using in the minor leagues has like basically made it's basically spider tack all over again. It's like yeah, crazy have, amount of walks, hit by pitches, and crazy strikeouts. No batting average I have is one like of those low balls. as fuck. I have one. Are of those they wild? Balls. Yeah, you know what? Hold on. Uh, didn't I bring? Didn't I show it? I showed it before. Mm-hmm. I never saw it. Well, I'll go. I'll go get it in a little bit. Yeah, it, I mean, it just it. it there. What's that? We can't feel it. <laughs> oh no, you can absolutely feel it. <laughs> Even today, <laughs> ball out of circulation for plenty of days. But that's until they have a fucking ball that's like that they like that. They think is sticky enough. They can't really crack down well, on all of it, but they have to crack well, down on some of it. So it's just a clusterfuck of like who's cheating, who's not, who knows, who knows because then, what the gray area, where the line is. Do they know? We don't know. No one knows. Well, what we're, what we're going to start doing is monitoring how many times you can go to the rosin bag now, right? Oh, no, I saw him. That was one, two. That was three pats on the hand. Done. You know, you only get two pats of rosin every time you go to the bag. And you're going to have to disengage, and that has to be with the right foot, and it's got to happen within seconds of 14 to 9, and if you don't do that, then you don't get to touch the rosin. Like, is that where we're going? Like, you know, we got mound visits and disengagements, and like, we're keeping track of all these things in baseball, and they've tried to keep track of this, and this was my argument when it came to sunscreen and rosin. As somebody who is predisposed to melanoma, skin cancer caused by sun exposure, who are you, Major League Baseball, to tell me that I can't put sunscreen on and to tell me that there's a limit to the amount of sunscreen I'm allowed to put on? Who the fuck are you? I just put on some sleeves, bro. Tough shit. Don't like the pitching <laughs> sleeves. Now, now, who are you to tell me that I have to wear my uniform this way? Tough shit. They can't tell you anything. Free country. Yeah, right, they might make you wash your hands, which is the most hilarious thing. It's like half these guys. Didn't someone just get their hands washed the other day? It's like, why are some guys <laughs> washing their hands? Some guys are out. It's just 
it's funny. And you'll never really know. I mean, I, I want to feel the hands myself. I want to be given the opportunity to feel hands and find out who's got the sticky <laughs> hands because it's, it, it, it's an interesting topic. I don't know if Scherzer's hands were as sticky as Drew Smith's, both of them on the same team. That's a question for another day, maybe. That's kind of... I'm, I'm ready to wash here. my hands so, of this whole sticky situation. Hmm. Well, um, what you can do is get a subscription to Max. Because there's a new streaming service called Max. It's a sure bet. With everything on HBO Max, including HBO, the DC Universe, Adult Swim, together with TLC, Discovery, Food Network, and more, Max really has some of the best content out there. There's literally something for everyone in your household, and Max is where we all win. Max, the one to watch. Subscription required. Visit Max.com today to get your subscription and start watching some of the best content out there. Um, That was a positive thing. Max.com is a positive thing. A negative thing, really quick before we get out of here. Jordan Alvarez. Um, from, from old Boob Nightingale. Tough news for the Houston Astros, who are without Jose Altuve for two months. Still don't have Michael Brantley. And now are without MVP candidate Jordan Alvarez for four to six weeks. Targeting late July. That's tough. It is tough. All for the hammy? It is tough. Um, yeah, it looks like... Uh, I don't know if that's being cautious or if that thing is really barking at him. But as of right now, entering play today, today is Wednesday. Uh, the Houston Astros are three and a half games back of the Texas Rangers, who have lost three straight, by the way. Texas Rangers have lost three straight games and the Houston Astros are still three and a half back. Uh, and not to mention a team speaking of max, the Los Angeles angels are right up the ass of the Astros. They're just a game back one game back all this time. We spend bitching about the angels. Oh, they're never going to make the playoffs and Shohei, and they're wasting Mike Trout and blah, blah, blah. They have the generations, two best players and they never fucking win. They're winning. And I feel like no one cares. What? Maybe because it's not in their, their no one cares right now. Who the fuck is talking about the angels right now? Well, the A's stole I mean, the shine. It's sorry. That's right. It's just that's right. A's, A's are stealing the yeah, shine right did. now. They're stealing the moment. A's are the that's talk the of baseball right yeah. now. Everyone. Fucking deal with this. They sure. are the talk of baseball. Not only that, for all the talk that we did about the Oakland A's being the worst baseball team of all time, they don't even have the worst record in baseball right now. That belongs to the Kansas City Roy Owls without cheese yeah. right now. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. That, that Why hurts. is that? Why are we not talking about the end? I'm not talking about this I mean, show it, specifically. I'm talking about anyway. I don't fucking hear anyone talk about the angels. The angels being a quote winning team is essentially a product of the last 10 days. They were not a winning team for the first two plus months of the season. So I think and then you tack on everything else you just said with like the preceding decade of not being winning. I, I think it's fair that people have taken longer than 10 days to like fully acknowledge that the angels are seven games over 500 right now. 
Yeah. And for the reasons that you guys also touched on, the A's are the story right now, and the Rangers, deservedly so, had dominated the previous couple of weeks with their play. So, I mean, like win for two weeks straight, and then maybe people will get excited, I think is pretty reasonable demand. Sure. Yeah. Can they hang on to it? Because was it was it last year or the year before? When was Noah Syndergaard on the Angels? Is that last year? Uh, last year. First half. Yeah, first half of last year, they were like, okay, like maybe the Angels are going to do something here. No. Yeah, well, this time last year, the Angels were, I think, firing Joe Madden as we speak. This might have been to this day. This is like right when they were on that crazy losing streak. To see him reverse card that 1-8 of 9 with Shohei, who's like the best offensive player in the ever of all time in the past seven days. And get and Zach Neto. Holla, Zach I mean, Neto. Homer Dwight. That guy is going You got off. the on pace for me, off. Joe? Oh, uh, Zach Neto? Yeah. He actually didn't get Don't hit by know. one pitch all week. So wow. that's Wow. And during that stretch, he's been he's got a, a 1.2 OPS. So maybe that's the secret for Neto. If he's not getting his ass beat by baseballs, he's actually an insanely good offensive player. Hmm. So th- Zach Neto. I think he's still currently on pace to break the all-time record by the time he's 30, but hasn't got hit by a pitch all week. Kyle Schwarber. I was told last episode that Schwarber wasn't hot. I, I heard that he's not good in June. Kyle Schwarber's no, hot. No, what I told he's you was a, no. what I spent a half hour explaining to you how a guy could hit a lot of home runs and be a replacement level player. You, you are too, free to acknowledge that, he's a, that he is hot. Uh, he's congratulations hot. to you. him. His OPS is still 25 points below 800. And that's just what I wanted to bring up. That's pretty good, actually. And uh, <laughs> he's got a positive war now, boys. Wow. There Point one war. Everybody and he's on pace now. for 44 bombs. 44 bombs. That's pretty mm-hmm. good. I know who else is on pace for a lot of home runs. Who for the new segment? Oh, also the NL Central, AL Central are still on pace to have be the worst division of all time, coming in at a 420 win percentage. That would break the record. Yeah, hey, the Ace would be a 500 ball club right now if we played in the NL Central. No, no, the actual numbers suggest that Jay. It's actually a five and five record. If you do the math and carry the two, that means we would be. Oh wow, definitely, definitely be five hundred. Yeah, yep. not 31 yep. games under. Are you, are you arguing with the numbers? Just just, just tell me yes or no. A drive to left. Back and gone. Don't let the Minnesota Twins get hot, dude. Carlos Correa's signature moment. It is year and a half for the Twins. Signature moment. For Carlos Correa, a walk-off bomb to get the Twins to like a game over 500. <laughs> honestly, honestly, you say don't let them get hot. That is basically true for any team in the division. Whoever gets yeah. hot for like two it's weeks yours. is going to put this thing away. Except yeah. for the shitty Royals. I was Royals. joking when I said that, but it actually, that walk-off home run was to put them a game o- over 500. Yeah. They also have the best run differential in the division by like over 60 runs. So... Damn. It's theirs if they want it, I think. Yeah, they're plus 42. No one else is positive in the division. So, anyways. Uh, 
All right. Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, yeah I want to shout Sanchez out. Is Gary Sanchez on pace for 43 home runs? <laughs> 43 home that's, runs? That's the new uh, on pace segment. <clears throat> okay. Good to know. Old Gear Bear. Yeah. Uh, was- yeah, I, I got to give some love to the... Um, I said I would mention this later. The Oakland A's... Uh, the Oakland A's grounds crew and the Oakland A's security guards, concession workers, because there was somebody who ran on the field last night, believe it or not, uh, from right field to left field. Dude got snatched up, did not make it into the stands, and uh, that was handled. But anytime that you're used to working with or in an environment where there's maybe 2,500 people maybe 5,000. There's days where they get 10,000 or so, and, and you're prepared for that. But it's just something, whether you like it or not, the the workers, concession, security, otherwise, have just not been used to dealing with as of late. So really overnight, boom, 30,000 people dropped in their lap and asked to just kind of, you know, hey, go about this business as usual. Uh, they did. They did a great job. And fans after the game, were throwing bottles, throwing trash, signs, really anything they could get their hands on that would make it down to the field, they were throwing onto the field. And is it a bad look? Sure. Can you, for one minute, one minute, understand where those people are coming from? Because if you can't, then I don't think you're paying attention. Again, I'm not telling you it's right. I just told you it's a bad look. But to just call it a bad look and move on means you're not understanding. You haven't felt the plight of these people as fans. And so I got a lot of friends on that grounds crew. The whole entire grounds crew are my friends. They shouldn't have to pick up that shit after the ballpark or after the game, right? The fans aren't mad at them, the grounds crew, but those are the people who have to bear the brunt of what the fans have been feeling. So think about it like this. The fans come over to the house of somebody that they do not like. And they're throwing a party at this house of somebody that they do not like. And when their party is over, they don't give a shit about who has to clean up after the party. In their mind, they're going to trash the house on the way out. That's where they're coming from. The folks who were throwing shit, that's where they're coming from. Like it or not, agree with it or not, those are different things. Just have some perspective. So I feel bad for the grounds crew. I felt terrible that they had to spend the extra time they did picking that shit up. But a lot of those folks also understand themselves where the emotion was coming from. So I just wanted to make sure that there was some acknowledgement from the hard work put in by the men and women who make the Coliseum experience what it is for people, whether there's 2,500 of you there or there's 15,000 of you there. Those men and women matter, and I appreciate each and every one of them. Jay, hey, rapid fire nug dump here. Gunnar Henderson now hitting 483 with five homers and an OPS over 1500 over his last eight games. That stretch alone has managed to raise his OPS 129 points in just two weeks. Uh, Max Scherzer last night, six runs in three and a third. Uh, Starts allowing six plus runs. He has four of them in 11 total starts this year. He had four in 53 starts in 21-22 combined. Devin Williams allowed four earned runs last night. 
while throwing 14 pitches. Um, in his previous 33 games, which dates back to August 28th of last season, and 571 pitches, he had allowed four earned runs. Uh, Shohei Otani, Joey mentioned it, maybe the best offensive player in baseball of late, 487 with five homers and a 1605 OPS over his last 10 games. That has raised his OPS 114 points, and it's not like it needed help before that stretch. Corey Seager, just shout out. Uh, he doesn't qualify for leaderboards, so I think people aren't adequately appreciating how fucking blistering hot this guy is. On the season, he's hitting 357. That's second among all people with 150 plate appearances. And uh, his 1.044 OPS is also second behind only Aaron Judge. And over his last four, he's hitting 588. And then shout out George Kirby. Um, zero earned runs, zero walks, 10 strikeouts last night. First such start by a Mariners pitcher since James Paxton in 2017. James Paxton, shout out the Sox. About to get swept by the fucking Rockies. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> by the way, my final thought, the Rockies may have the nicest team in the league. Like, multiple dudes just came up and were super nice. Introduced themselves, said that they were fans of the show, I've never, I, I mean, I've definitely had like players come up and like introduce themselves before, but not that volume. And no one's ever been like, hey, like, love the show. Like, get me on the show. Like, that's never, that's never happened to that degree before. So shout out to the Colorado Rockies who, uh, Jake, delete the segment that we did about the organization being an abomination. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, that's good. Yeah. Get some Rockies on the pod. Head on out. Yeah. They got a better record than the Cardinals. So they won the yes. trade it's officially. Yeah, that's, officially. They, win the, they win the Arenado trade. Good point. <clears throat> officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, maybe tomorrow. What's today? Wednesday? Yeah, tomorrow. Uh, we'll have a quick little interview with Daniel Bard about his uh, comeback. He just, you know, I'm, I didn't want to bug him. He probably did a million interviews while he was back in Boston. So we just did like 12 minutes. Uh, by the way, somebody brought up that the hot start that the Angels got off to last year before they went into the toilet. Yeah. They were 27 and 17 to yep. start the season. So 10 full games over 500. They, <laughs> I forgot about this. They then lost 14 straight. <laughs> 14 straight from there. <laughs> they lost 14 straight and were 27 and 31 and were never at 500 again for the remainder of the season. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Shout out to Coney one more time for coming on, and we'll see you tomorrow. We gone.